0: You're listening to a message from Mercy Culture Church, home of Pastor Landon and Heather Schott in Fort Worth, Texas. For more information about Mercy Culture and ways that you can be a part of it, visit mercyculture.com. If you want my notes, and there's a lot of them, you can text notes to the number that comes up on the screen, and what is in front of me will be sent to you. How many love God's Word? Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 24. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken in the wind? What did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothes? Behold, those who dressed in splendid clothing live in luxury are in king's courts. What did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he who it is written... Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare the way before you. I tell you among those born of women, look at this, none is greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. I came to tell you this morning that this is the year he must increase And we must decrease. The word of the Lord over 2024 for this church is this is the year of reformation. The title of this message is the year of reformation. Let's pray. So Lord, we declare right now that your word is true. Let every man be a liar. We declare right now that your word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. Lord, we hide your word in our hearts that we won't sin against you. Lord, I pray right now you would give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, minds to understand what your spirit is saying. I pray that you would breathe on your logos written word and I pray you would become rhema and revelation for us today. Lord, I declare right now No spirit, but the Holy Spirit is welcome in this place. So I pray right now, any uh, distractions you have to leave, any spirit of offense you have to leave, fear you have to go, we say, Holy Spirit, come, rule and reign. Lord, I thank you right now. We declare we don't make room for you, but we give you the entire room. Lord, I declare nobody came to hear me. We all came to hear you. So we say, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. And all God's people said, amen Amen. and amen. Amen. Well, I, I told you that year of, of the journey that we're gonna be on from the pulpit or in the pulpit this year and this, year, uh, this journey of the year of Reformation. But I have been on a journey as well. And I wanted to tell you the story of Reformation how this began to happen. And so it, it's, it's this journey where we steward what God says. So we've actually been stewarding this word of Reformation for about two years now. And for me, it really was was brought to my attention. It was last February. We just broke our 40-day fast. I'm out to eat at a restaurant. And we get done. We pay the bill. And the moment I go to stand up from the restaurant, I hear the Lord say, this will be a year of reformation. And as soon as I hear him say, this is gonna be a year of reformation, I'm reminded of Cindy Jacobs' prophetic word that she gave from this stage two years ago this week. And she said that Reformation was coming to this house and that God would give us a Reformation plan And that we planted with revival, but we would be reformers. Fast forward a few years later, I'm sharing with the staff this September about the vision for this year and what God says. As we're praying with the staff, all of a sudden, I mean, I I feel the Spirit of God come upon me. And He said, John 3:30, that this would be a year that He would increase and that we would decrease. The next month, I'm talking to a friend of mine named Kevin. And we talk off and on, and he's very prophetic. God speaks to him. And he sent me a text message, and he said, I just feel like the Lord's saying over you that this is the year that you're going to, he's going to increase, and you're going to decrease. As soon as I got his text message, I get goosebumps all over my body. I send him the, the, the screenshot from my notes with the staff months later, and I said, the Lord said this would be a year of reformation, that this would be a year that he would increase increase and that we would decrease. Church, the Lord has been setting the stage. He gave us a year of dunamis to strengthen and fortify you, to get you ready for the next assignment of reformation. Someone praise the Lord. What is reformation? To reforming is this, the act of improving the existence, to Form our condition or an institution or practice instead of making or intended to make a striking change for the better in social, political, or religious affairs. To reform is to change a thing or practice a, a, a change a thing, a practice, a doctrine in order to improve it or correct it. Let me give you my simplified personal definition. Reformation is to make wrong things right in God's sight. The word is righteousness. Let's say that again. Reformation is to make wrong things right in God's sight. Now, the Bible only uses the word reformation one time in the entire Bible. And it's found in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 9, chapter Uh, Chapter 9, verse 10. And the Apostle Paul is writing to Jewish people who are now following Jesus. In Hebrew 9, he's addressing the Old Testament or the Old Covenant and the tabernacles, the rules for encountering God. Then he's talking about reformation. He's speaking about how Jesus made a new covenant or a better way to connect with God. He writes in Hebrews 9, 10, but deal only with food or drink and various washings and regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. When I read that, I was reminded when Cindy Jacobs prophesied that the time of reformation is now. Someone shout now. That word reformation in the Greek is the word athorsis. It comes from two words, dia and orthos, and simply what it is saying, it's saying to make the crooked things straight, or because of evil, because of injustices, we can improve, correct, or make those wrong things right. Now, just because there's only one uh, verse in the Bible that mentions the actual word Reformation does not mean that the Bible is not full of Reformation. In fact, when you study Greek and Hebrew, it's so much deeper or richer than the English word. One rabbi said reading the Bible uh, through English is like uh, uh, looking at a picture in black or white or kissing a woman through the veil. You're missing so much of the depth of a word. So the, how we study words is by the word etymology. It is the root study of the word or what the word is connected to. So even though it's reforming is only mentioned or reformation that one time in God's word, it's connected to so many other principles in God's word. So let me show you what it's connected to and what uh, reformation truly means. Reformation is the blueprints of heaven. Reformation is when you are building your life around God's design or God's way. Reformation is when you have the heart of the Father and the mind of Christ and you establish it in the earth. Reformation is when the revival in the church begins to transform the culture that is outside the church. And reformation is fueled by holiness. And this is why majority of revivals die out, is because they're not fueled by holiness. This is why most reformations die out, is because they're not fueled by holiness. And so they do not have the substance. They cannot be sustained because they end up being pushed through or led by the ambitions of men, the strategies of men, instead of the blueprints of heaven. See, reformation begins with you. It begins with your life, your mind, your Your heart, your sin, your finances, your family, your community then goes into the culture. And the church has lost its influence with the culture because we've lost our intimacy with holiness. That's why the, church, the world says, church, we don't want to be judged by you. Your sin is as dirty as ours. Your lives look like ours. There's not much of a difference between those that go to church on Sunday and how those that don't also live on Friday. There is a disconnect between God's people and his holiness. Every member of this church, you can learn how to connect with God through Reformation. We actually have an entire resource uh, through Connect With God that you can learn how to be equipped and connect with God through Reformation guys, reformation is all throughout church history. Put this timeline up. Jesus dies on the cross and ascended to heaven. And once, once that happened, about 33 years later, we have what's called uh, the day of Pentecost. So the, the day of Pentecost is when revival or broke out in the upper room and God's people began to be baptized with the Holy Spirit's fire. So shortly after that, a great persecution came to the church. When the church began to be persecuted, they were pushed underground or they were scattered. We see this in the book of Acts, and it continued for hundreds of years. But something significant happened in 380 AD, that Christianity became the state religion of Rome. Now, that was a great thing and somewhat not of a great thing at the same time, because here's what was taking place, is whatever ruler or emperor ruled the land, they decided what religion was allowed. So if you had a good emperor or ruler, then they would be drawn towards worshiping the one true God. If you had an evil emperor or ruler, then you'd be uh, worshiping some pagan God. Then later throughout Christianity or church history, we see see what's called the Great Schism. In 1054, where there was a split between the Catholic and the Orthodox Church. The next Reformation was in the 1500s when Martin Luther tacked a 95-page thesis on the door of the Catholic Church. This was known as the Protestant Reformation. In the 1500s, when the Church of England split from the Catholic Church, this was an important moment because this was a time where people were desiring to worship God freely. The people that desired this the most made their way to a new land, and the new land was to find a freedom of worship. Many of them made their way to America. When they came to America, they had freedom of worship. This is so important because a lot of people don't understand separation between church and state and you repeat some pundit that has an agenda on TV or on social media. Listen, separation between church and state was never designed to keep the church out of the state. It was designed to keep the state out of the church because for 2,000 years, the people of God had to worship whatever the state told them to worship. So they started this new nation and this new country to worship and freedom so from this moment we had uh, this protestant reformation what happened was is we got the lutherans and the anglicans and the reformed theology that began to make their way into america from the anglicans we had the episcopalians and the methodists that gave birth to the pentecostals and charismatics which that's where you see our little logo right here and then the reform section you had presbyterians and baptists And the great distinction between the Reformed Baptists is they did not baptize children. You had to choose it as an adult. So you saw these denominations emerge. In the uh, 1700s, we saw a reformation of a great awakening. In the 1900s, we saw the Azusa Street Revival. We have seen all throughout history this topic of reformation. And church, let me tell you that history remembers the Reformers and the future belongs to the Reformers. This morning, I'm going to give you five characteristics of reformers. Five characteristics of reformers. Number one, reformers are consecrated. What does it mean to be consecrated? It's a word that means this, they're set apart. Second Corinthians six seventeen says, Therefore, go out from their midst, the world, and be separate from them, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you. God's word tells us over and over, come out from the world, do not be like the world. And there's this bad theology that has made its way into the church, that you do anything short of sin to reach people. That is stupid. Jesus died for sin to reach people. Watch. You don't have to find the worldly lines of compromise to reach reach people. You introduce them to the one that died for their sin to reach people. See, the problem with preachers preaching that is in the congregation begins to live it and then you live anything short of sin and then sometimes you fall into that sin and then you don't live above reproach and and then you find yourself in the same place that you've been year after year after year because you haven't come out from among them and be ye separate. We actually look at your life and have no idea if you are a follower of Jesus or if you are a follower of Satan. There is not a distinction between how you do business. There is not a distinction for how you respond to COVID. There's not a distinction between how you respond to people. There's not a distinction between how you dance on Sunday and how you dance on Friday. There's not a distinction between what you listen to. There's not a distinction between the words that you say. You hear preachers talking about how they can cuss. Come out from the world. and be ye separate I'm not talking about that you pretend you're better than people that you know that you were just as lost as anybody else all have sinned and and, and fallen short of the glory of God I'm not talking about that you think you're better I'm talking about you live to different standards reformers won't fit in the circles of friends of yesterday. And some of you are going to have this mantle of reformation fall upon you, but your friendship circles will not tolerate it. See, they want the reformers to tolerate their sin, but they will not tolerate their holiness. Reformers are people that are set apart number two reformers are people of action someone say action Jeremiah 26 13 now reform your ways and your actions obey the Lord I'm going to say this again reformers are people of action I did not say talk because most people that just talk reform nothing they do nothing. They influence nothing. My friend Yako Boyens is here, and every time I say Yaku, he's doing something. He's at the border serving. He's in New York serving. He's at the UN standing, calling it evil. He's in some country rescuing a child. He's doing something. Watch. When you are a reformer, you're people of action. Ooh, I feel the prophetic on me. And there's some of you that wanna to talk too much. You wanna strategize yourself out of action. And I'm not saying we don't count the cost. And I'm not saying we don't ty- take time to have strategy, but there comes to a time that your strategy becomes to waste your, our time. There are people of action, someone shout action. Every one of you that is a reformer should be people of action. What does it mean to be someone of action? It means you're someone of prayer. It means you're someone of fasting. It means you're someone of serving. It means you're someone of giving. There is constantly actions involved in your life. You want to take action? Get to Solemn Assembly. And don't just come one night to check it off your list. Be people of action. You know what's wild? The majority of the God encounters I have come in these little moments where they're not in my daily encounter. There's these moments of actions that God speaks to me. One of the ways that we connect with God is through movement. Do you know that as you are acting and obeying God, you're going to be encountering God nonstop? Reformers are people that take action. One more time, shout action for me. Reformers, number three, desire to please the Lord. That same scripture in Jeremiah where it says, reform your ways. That word reform in the Hebrew is the word yatab, which means to be good, well, glad, or pleasing. This is wild. The desire of reformers, watch, is their actions please the Lord. Their actions are not about their own agenda. Their actions are not about their own ambition. Their actions are not to build their own empire. It's not to build their own ministry. Here's the problem. There's so many ministries that are quote-unquote reforming ministries, but their actions are to please their own ministry instead of please the Lord. So they end up doing things that are actions, but they're not pleasing the Lord. Oh, you need to hear this today. See, Peter understood this when his agenda was for Jesus to overthrow the Roman Empire. And so he was trying to get Jesus to do his political activism. Church, this is not about political activism. And some of you come to this church and you go, like, oh, I love mercy culture and I love the boldness, but they're a little more too political. No, you're a little too under spiritual. And so you take the words of bloggers and you take it because the bloggers are your pastors and the bloggers influence you. And so you take their words instead of the word of God. None of this is political, it is all spiritual rescuing women out of sex slavery is not political saving children in their mother's womb is not political standing up for racial injustices is not political every single one of these things is spiritual I pray even now scales would begin to fall off your eyes and you stop seeing through your worldly culture and you start seeing through heaven's blueprints. Number four, reformers use their influence correctly. What's your influence? It's your voice. It's your platform. It's your resources. I heard the Lord say to me, Dunamis strengthened and fortified your faith. Reformation lives out your faith. Reformers use their influence to stand up against injustice. Luke chapter one, verse 18. I read this on Christmas Eve. It's the story of John the Baptist's dad, Zachariah. And an angel visits him. Now, John the Baptist's dad was a pastor, and an angel visits him and answers his prayer. The, put, put the verse up on the screen. Thank you. The, the, the angel says, You're gonna have a son. He's gonna be a reformer. He's gonna make way to, the, the the people of the Lord. He's gonna prepare the way. He's gonna be set apart, brings in this powerful message. Watch. And the pastor, his dad, responds to an angel How can I be sure of this? I'm old. And here's what the angel said. I stand in the presence of God. I didn't come to play around with you. But because you responded like this, you can't talk anymore. I heard the Lord speak to me to tell you, if you do not use your influence this year, you will lose your influence this year. Hear your pastor today. If you don't use it, you will lose it. Tell someone next to you, use it or lose it listen there's too many times where people are afraid to use their influence because you don't want to lose your influence i had a pastor of a pretty large church asked me one time he said uh what's it like to be you i was like this is getting weird i'm like what do you mean He's like to be in the media all the time and have him write articles about you, and, and I like to fly below the radar. How, you, know, you know, what's it feel like to always be in the crosshairs? I said, "You got children?" He said, "Yeah." So you got daughters? He goes, "Yeah." I go, "What would you do if someone tried to harm or violate one of your daughters?" He said, "Whatever it took." I said, "So what about the daughters in your city that don't have dads?" I said, "What are you gonna do, pastor?" Twenty and thirty years from now, when these little children grow up and they say, "Where were the spiritual fathers in my city that were protecting me from cutting off my breasts? Where were the fierce spiritual fathers in my city that were preventing me from taking hormone blockers? Where were the where were the fathers in the city that were preventing me from being injected with experiments that would take away my health for years? Where were the spiritual fathers that would stand up and confront evil and perversion?" I didn't have a dad, but where was the spiritual fathers? I said to this pastor, you will stand before God one day and you will be judged by the influence you were given. Well, that's woe to him, but now I'm telling you, you will stand before God one day and you will be held account of the influence you are given. And before you try to make an excuse before the message has even gone on, let me tell you right now, you all have influence. I'm going to say this again. You all have influence. Father, I pray right now that spiritual eyes would come on your people and they would see influence. Grandma, you got influence with your grandchildren. You got influence. Eric, you got influence in that barber chair. They're stuck for 30 minutes, sometimes longer. They're stuck and you you have influence right there. Listen, you have influence with people that follow you you on media. You have influence with people that you're doing business with. You have influence with people that you've been speaking in their lives. I'm telling you right now pastors are watching we got friends from guatemala that are here right now that flew in to come to the service right now watch because they've been influenced by this house watch what you do in this season affects generations to come i'm telling you god has given you an influence to use oh i just heard the lord say tell fathers they have influence with their children Ah, I just had a picture go through my mind right now of your child trying to get, be with you, but you were distracted by some media. There's influence. So let me give you some easy practical advice. Whatever influence you have, use it. Whoever God has given you influence with, use it use the influence God has given you. I feel like I'm supposed to share something. This is prophetic. It's not my notes. But senior citizens, God is calling you to not check out in this time. I felt it come on me in the 40 days of prayer when the men were praying and I was fasting and I felt it stir up in me again that, 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 that some of you that are in your senior years that, that you're, you're in your retirement and, and you're starting to check out and, and I come to shake you. Don't check out. Check back in. Cause you can't leave this nation to a generation of cowards. You no, know, I even heard, I hear people say, "Well, I go to a young person's church." No, you don't. You go to God's church. Now hear this today. I believe that God is calling senior citizens. I have even felt this, that, that they even thought in their mind, well, my wars of yesterday. No, 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 your wars of yesterday was to prepare you for the wisdom of today. Watch, there needs to be a coming together of strength of young men and wisdom of older men. I'm telling you right now, your season for fighting, your season for reformation has not come to an end yet. Just saw seniors dancing with a new dance in this season. Number five, reformers are fearless. Someone say fearless. Reformers' fearlessness, look at this, gives them a greater authority with a greater audience. Some of you social influencers do not have authority and do not have an audience because you're still bound in fear. Because you're making content to entertain people instead of content that will minister to people. Reformers are fearless. Someone shout, fear go. So let's ask this question. So what happens if we are resisted? What happens if we are rejected? And it's good news because we will be resisted. And we will be rejected. And watch this reformers are all in no matter what the cost. Watch, reformers are not focused on the outcome, they're focused on the moment of obedience. I remember clearly I was in the balcony up in that section. God will speak to you in that section. I was sitting up there, and the Holy Spirit told me to tell Pastor Steve to run, run for mayor. And Pastor Steve ran. We obeyed God. We did what God said. And then he did not win mayor. And a, a, a pastor called me the week after the election and said, I just want to give you my condolences. I said, Why? He goes, Well, Steve lost. I said, You never lose obeying the Lord. Now, watch, in the natural, it didn't look like he won. But then we didn't know that someone would call Kim about six months later and ask him to run for a state rep seat. And when we prayed about it, we said, we don't feel like Pastor Steve's supposed to run for the state rep seat. But we all felt as leaders that Nate Shotslide was supposed to do it. We went to Nate. We said, Nate, what do you think about this? He said, oh, my goodness. I just had a dream last week that I was in that seat. I said, let's pray together. Watch. So Nate goes and he slaughters his opponents. Not only does that, but he opened the door for dozens and dozens of other people to go into places of influence. Watch, so this one moment of fearlessness with a two-year-old church obeying God in the middle of heavenly justice opens the door for we don't. Nate's just getting started. For liberty and justice has seen 49 seats brought with godly men and women to establish heavenly justice in the earth. Watch, this is crazy what happens when you are fearless. What happens when you're resisted? You please the Lord. Hear this, reformers are all in no matter what the cost. I said reformers are all in no matter what the cost. What did Esther say in the book of Esther 4.16? She says, I will go before the king, even though it's against the law. But if I perish, I perish. See, reformers say, I'm going to obey God if I perish or I perish. Watch. If the business deal perishes, it perishes. If my friendships perish, they perish. If my influence perishes, it perishes. If my name is tarnished, let it perish. Watch. Reformers are all in. I just felt the Lord speak to me. It won't work for you well this year if you're not all in. You can't pretend to reform. You cannot pretend to fit in with this. You have to be willing to perish. I even feel this pretty strong. Something in your life will perish when you begin to reform. Let me give you some practical advice ask the Lord to teach you about reformation. I have a question for you to ask yourself, self-reflection. Do you have these five characteristics? Which one are you missing? I felt in the first service, I felt an unction to tell you today, begin to ask the Lord to develop all five of these characteristics in you this year even as you fast on this 21-day fast, begin to ask God daily for these five characteristics. I feel a strong stirring in my spirit that these are gonna begin to manifest in your life as you partner with this prophetic word of reformation. A couple months ago, as I was praying in reformation, all of a sudden I had this awareness that came to me. And the awareness was this, that only a fraction of our church has the heart of a reformer. There's groups in the justice reform, there's groups in For Liberty and Justice, and it's only a fraction. And then I had the thought, what would happen if everybody was reforming something? What would happen in our church what would happen in our communities? What would it look like in DFW if our kids were reforming? If the women were reforming? If the men were reforming? If the youth were reforming? What would it look like? I felt in my spirit, this is the year we pick up the mantle. As the Lord was showing me this, I was reminded of this moment we had with Lou Engle this year. I felt like it was a prophetic moment. And before the service, I was on a prayer run, and I had a a vision. What's a vision? A spiritual daydream. And I have this spiritual daydream of us holding up Lou Engle above our heads. Now, I don't have a practice of taking senior citizens and lifting them up above our heads. It's not something we normally do in church services. And we were in the back room, and I said, Lou, I I don't want this to sound awkward, but when I was praying this morning, I had this vision of us holding you above your head. And um, I don't know if you're okay with that. I don't know if your hips are okay with that. What do you think about that? He said, Landon. The Lord told me there were mantles falling, and you were going to pick them up. even as we lifted him up in that moment it was a prophetic act of this church lifting up reformation mantles this year someone put your hands together and praise the lord Church, the Bible is full of reformation and reformers. Jesus was the greatest reformer the earth has ever known. Noah reformed the earth when he built an ark. Moses reformed when he brought the children of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land. The 12 judges reformed in the book of Judges. David reformed worship in Israel. The prophets in Elijah reformed worship in Israel. Esther reformed her people. Peter reformed love for God. Paul reformed the way we worship God in the New Testament. Estimate. Mary Magdalene returned, uh, reformed an entire city as she went back as an evangelist. And one of the greatest reformers was the one that Jesus called the greatest. John the Baptist was a reformer. I want to point out some, that John had all five characteristics of the reformers I taught a moment ago. All five of them, John had. Let me tell you a little about John. The first reference to John is in Matthew chapter 3. It's the genealogy of Jesus. Directly after that is the story of John. John was the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth. He was a relative to Jesus. The angel Gabriel foretold his birth in Luke chapter 1. Then he says later in Luke 1.15 that he was to be consecrated or set apart. We know that John was filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. I'm going to say that again because the 1130 service needs to really understand this one when he was in his mom's womb that the world doesn't acknowledge as a baby, was baptized in the Holy Spirit according to Scripture, which this absolutely shatters your woke pro-abortion theology because there is no biblical... Or moral reason to have an abortion ever. The reformers are clapping. I know we're not in the prophecy time yet, but I saw I saw an army of influencers hammering this lie in media this year. That there are all of these cultural and demonic lies and distractions surrounding abortion. And I saw an army of reformers on social media hammering every lie. He was full of the Holy Spirit Even in his mom's womb, he was a man of the wilderness. Mark 1 6 says, now John was clothed in camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. See, John was a wild one, and we know the wild ones love God. His message was repentance. Someone say repentance. Repentance. Matthew 3, 1, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let me give you a warning right now to anyone that tries to dishonor or devalues repentance ever. If you hear any woke preachers, or anyone on social media dishonor or devalue repentance, you should be assured that it's some sort of reprobate theology that's trying to make its way in. And all of this deconstruction stuff, let me help you. Someone's just trying to polish a pig here. It's all it is is flat out rebellion. It's not a pretty smart intellectual way to leave the church. It's simply good old fashioned rebellion. John baptized people for the repentance of sin. John's baptism demanded people either repent or face a coming judgment. So he wouldn't be a popular preacher in America, would he? This is his message repent or you will be judged. It was a message of reformation of the heart and of the life. And John prepared the way of the Lord. Matthew 3:3. For this who has spoken of the prophet Isaiah, he said, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. Church reformers will be known for preparing the way of the Lord. John was frequently associated with the prophet Elijah. This is wild. Jesus compared him. The, the angel compared him and said, John will go before with his spirit and the power of Elijah. Now, this is wild because in 2 Kings chapter 2, Elijah ended his ministry at the Jordan River. And John began his ministry at the Jordan River because the place the prophet Elijah left off is the place that the reformer, John the Baptist, started. And just a little side note, if you haven't been to the Jordan River, it's one of the greatest experiences of my lifetime was getting baptized in the place that Jesus was baptized. I'm telling you, there's something significant about being in the place where reformers were together and being baptized in the water. Who wants to go with us one day? John was known for his humility. John 3, is a wild story. This is the story of, of John the Baptist's disciples arguing and, and, and nervous about their people, their crowds, leaving them and going to follow Jesus and Jesus' ministry. So John's staff members went to John and they said, hey, John, do you realize that our church is shrinking And everybody's going to Jesus' church. This is what they said. And John responds and says this in verse 27. A person cannot receive unless one thing, unless it's given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been been sent before him. The one who is the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Then he says, this. He must increase and I must decrease. I'll get to that in a second. John was called the baptizer because he baptized people. Not only did he baptize people, but he baptized Jesus. I want you to imagine this for a second, that you're the one that Jesus asked to baptize him. Which, from a theological standpoint, it's hard to make sense of because you baptize in a repentance of your sin. Jesus knew no sin. Jesus didn't need to be baptized. But why was Jesus baptized? Not only does he model humility, but in the baptism of Jesus, we see something that we only see one time here in the New Testament is we see the Trinity appear all at once in the same moment. John's baptism, watch, showed us The Trinity says this, Matthew 3, verse 16, when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove coming to rest on him and behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son who I am well pleased because of this moment John was the first to announce that Jesus was Lord John one thirty three says this I myself did not know him but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me and the man whom you see the spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with Holy Spirit that Holy Spirit in fire John was also bold and confrontational because reformers are bold and confrontational Luke 3.7 watch this John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him. You brood of vipers. You warned to flee from the coming wrath. Produce fruit. Then in keeping with repentance. Let me just pastor you for a moment because most spiritually immature people cannot distinguish the difference between boldness and arrogance. I just told you that John was humble. Wore camel's hair. Argued with Jesus to baptize him. A man of great humility, but a man of great boldness. See, as you pick up this mantle of reforming, I feel this so strong. As you pick up this mantle of reforming, the manipulation of the words of Goliath, the manipulation of the lies of the enemy, the lies of social media, watch, which its attempts to silence you. Everybody needs to go read David on your own. Read the story of David and Goliath on on, on this 21 days of prayer and fasting. Watch. But what did David's brother say to David when he said, hey, who's going to stand up to this giant? They said, who do you think you are? You're so prideful. You're so arrogant. Why are you trying to put yourself forward? Watch. And a reformer's not trying to put themselves forward. A reformer is trying to put God forward. And they can't imagine why nobody is saying anything to the lies of the enemy, the lies of the world. Why is no one addressing true racism why is no one addressing true injustice why is no one addressing the lies of the enemy the evils of the world church do you realize the enemy doesn't even have to hide anymore there's not even a disguise the world is silent because reformers need to our eyes Watch this, reformers are bold. And John was beheaded by Herod because of a Jezebel spirit. His boldness got him beheaded. Let me give you a warning the spirit of Jezebel always resists the reformers in Reformation. You will see the spirit of Jezebel all around surrounding anti-human trafficking ministries all around life ministries that deal with abortion, all around true injustice ministries, you will see the spirit of Jezebel. How does it uh, uh, manifest? It manifests in people that slither into these arenas, that pretend like they want to help people, that pretend they care about the injustices of the world, but really they care about their own stages, their own audiences, their own resources, their own name and their own faith. I'm warning you, as you pick up a mantle of reformer and reformation, you will have to be well skilled at acknowledging and dealing and addressing Jezebel spirits. We might have to get to that later this year. Let's get back to our story. Pastor Ryan, come and join me. This is the story in Luke 7 of John the Baptist and Jesus, one of their many insignificant encounters. John is in prison, awaiting his beheading, and he sends his disciples to Jesus. As Jesus is talking to his disciples, he begins to address the crowd that's around him in Luke chapter 7, and he begins to reflect on his own encounters with John. Now, this is important because John's encounters with Jesus reflects the encounters reformers will have with Jesus. I'm going to say that again. There may not be anyone in human history that had greater, more frequent encounters with Jesus than John had. And John was a reformer. And I heard the Lord say, because reformers... Will have those same God encounters. I'm gonna show you three times that John encountered Jesus, and three times you will encounter Jesus. Number one, the first time he encountered Jesus was in the womb, it was the place of intimacy. Reformers will encounter God in the greatest places of intimacy. And as you pick up the mantle of reforming, you will encounter God in the greatest places of intimacy you've ever known. If you are a man that loves God and you pick up this mantle of reformer, get ready to weep this year. And don't be afraid of others seeing you weep. I just saw this picture of your beards collecting tears. And it's not weeping because of weakness. It's weeping because of intimacy. I saw you weeping as you encountered him. Weeping as you loved on him. Weeping as he loved on you. And weeping as he loved on others. Every reformer will encounter God in the place of intimacy or the place of the womb. The second time that John encountered Jesus was the place of the water or the place of glory. He goes through this interaction with Jesus arguing about who would baptize who. And finally he relents because God's telling him what to do and he begins to baptize Jesus and the moment he baptized Jesus it says this that in Matthew 3:16 that the heavens were open and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove coming down to rest on him those that are reformers like John will encounter God's glory You encounter his glory this year You will see the manifest presence of God come into what you are doing. This is so wild. The glory did not come because John's ministry was so great. The glory came when John was holding on to Jesus. The glory came and rested on Jesus. And when he was baptizing Jesus, watch, the moment he came out of the water, watch, because he was holding heaven's blueprint. He was holding God's design. He was holding God's perfect will, watch, and the glory came because he was holding what God told him to hold. Glory doesn't just come down on anything. Begin to play, Pastor Right. Glory comes when you're holding what God tells you to reform. I just heard this phrase, glory comes to the hands of Obedience. The third encounter John had, and the encounter reformers will have is our text in Luke 7. Well, reformers will encounter God in the place of tyranny or the place of persecution. Reformers are not trying to escape persecution. Reformers embrace persecution because you will encounter God in persecution. And most people are stopped by the enemy from even starting the process of reforming because you're afraid of persecution. Oh, you need to start praying that prayer of Esther, if I perish, I perish. But persecution will not hinder me any longer. Watch, John is in prison. He's in prison, and he sends his disciples to encounter Jesus on his behalf. And Jesus did not say, it's okay, John, we got an escape plan for you. It's okay, John, you're my brother. You're my cousin. I got you. Don't worry about it. We're going to get you out. He says nothing about rescuing John. You know what his response is? He's the greatest. He says, John, as you're sitting in prison, in tyranny, facing persecution there's no one like him he's the greatest this kind of messes with your head in theology right here because you have Jesus who is the greatest reformer talking about John and he says no one is greater than him he says no one is greater except for the scripture of the least this is kind of deep theologically because he's talking about the least of these in the kingdom would be all of those that came after john because the new covenant was about to unfold the page was about to turn the curtain was about to rend. watch he was saying watch the least in the kingdom watch this this is wild do you know who he was talking about in your life to Jesus and he's your Lord just wave your hand at me he's talking to you he's talking to you this verse is talking to you this is wild watch this Jesus the greatest reformer is talking about the great reformer and he says but even you will be greater than the great reformer Jesus was talking about you he said you who be greater than John? The least in the kingdom. See, when you pick up this mantle of reformation as the least of the kingdom, when you begin to wear this mantle of a former, Jesus said, greatness comes upon you. You see this today. How do we begin to greatly reform? We do it just like John. We get out of the way. John's prayer, our theme verse this year, Danny's saying about it this morning, is He must increase. And I must decrease. This blows my mind because majority of us, as we get older and older and older, we think that we become greater and greater and greater. You build something up. There's there's a crescendo. There's a climax. There's a building up of your life, your ministry, everything that you've built in life. And John said this, my entire goal for my existence, my desire, the end goal for all that I do is to get off the stage. It's to get out of the way. It's to see him increase and that I must decrease and I've struggled with this for a long time even sometimes when I quote the scripture I quote it backwards that I must decrease and he must increase and this morning while we were worshipping the Lord said look at it again and so many of us struggle with this because we wrestle with ourselves to decrease decrease in our pride, to decrease in our ambition, to decrease in our plans, to decrease in what we're trying to build. But that's not the strategy. The strategy is not for you to decrease and Him to increase. Heaven's strategy is He increases first. Watch, watch, watch. And when He increases, it's so easy. Easy. you see how big, when you see how good, when you see how holy, when you see how wonderful, when you see his majesty, when you see his grace, when you see his mercy, when you see his kindness, when you see his love, when you see his benevolence, when you feel him, when you get to know him, when he teaches you his ways, when you really know who he is, it is so easy to get out of the way when the King of glory is coming in. I declare this is the year this house, this community, this church decreases. We will greatly reform when we get out of the way and we see him increase in Jesus'